hypnosis, forgiveness, and influence. Those are some of the topics we're going to cover in today's question and answer lesson on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, June the 4th, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. Of course, every Wednesday we do apologetics or cultural issues. Last week we covered uh, the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 6, because that, uh, that prophecy that we are covering from Daniel, that's actually a reason to believe in Jesus. And the root word for, uh, for apologetics is actually reason. So when we're talking about apologetics, we're talking about giving people a reason to believe. And in my opinion, man, if, if somebody listens to that prophecy from Daniel and sees how that plays out, and that isn't a good enough reason for them to believe, then I don't know what is. But uh, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that. That's certainly one of my favorite proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, and that's just an amazing prophecy, if you ask me. But anyway, just a couple quick announcements real quick. Uh, You know, you guys can see that we're doing question and answers this week. That doesn't mean we're not doing it next week. We're doing it actually both weeks. I get enough questions from you guys. I'm going to try and start doing two question and answer lessons with you guys. It's just a matter of getting enough questions. So anytime you guys have questions, you know, about Christianity or the Bible or Jesus or, you know, whatever, go ahead and send them over to me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. Or if you go to biblestudypodcast.org, on the right-hand side, there's a contact box, and you can fill in your email right there and email me from the website. That's one way to get your questions to me. So we're doing Q&A this week and next week. Um, Also, I've got a couple classes that I've got coming up in the next couple of weeks, and one of those classes is Contemporary Cults, and I'm actually taking that with Dr. Ron Rhodes, who, uh, you know, he's got a huge counter-cult ministry. So uh, that class is coming up next week, and, you know, I haven't exactly decided what our next apologetic series is going to be, but I think I might get some ideas from that class. That's what I'm hoping for. But uh, I'll keep you guys up to date on that, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep you filled in when uh, when we decide what our next topic <clears throat> is going to be. Anyway, thank you guys for keeping us in prayers about the church plant down in northwest Arkansas. We are still uh, waiting to sell our house. It's still on the market and everything. But, you know, if I could, you know, give you guys one more thing to pray for us about. Uh, we're looking for somebody with a different ethnic background, a different uh, ethnicity to join us. Brian and I both believe that uh, a diverse church, an ethnically diverse church, is a healthy church. So if you could keep that in prayer, we are, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping that God will bring the right person to us, and we know that it'll be in the right time. But that's one thing that you guys can pray for us about. But anyway, I want to welcome Christina. She's going to be uh, my designated reader today. And if you ask me, it's better when she reads the questions anyway, although I'm probably a little bit biased on that. But anyway, Christina, welcome. What's our first question today? Okay, our first question today comes from Rob. Rob writes, If God only forgives those who truly repent, why are we expected to forgive everyone? Isn't that doing more than God? 
Okay, uh, that's a that's a really good question, Rob. Thanks for sending that in. That's a really tough question. I think that's the type of question that would probably trip a lot of people up. So if you're tripped up right now, don't worry about it. I think I've got this one ironed out. Um, also, Rob, I did get your second question as well, and it's a question that I received from someone else as well this month. So actually, that question I'm going to be answering next week for next week's question. Uh, question and answer lesson. But anyway, to answer this question, you said that God only forgives those who truly repent. First of all, that's the first uh, little snippet from this question. But, you know, I think it would be more correct to say that God offers forgiveness to anyone and everyone who will receive his forgiveness. In order to receive his forgiveness, one needs to recognize their sinfulness. That's the first thing. We need to recognize that we're a sinner. And that's what repentance is. The Greek word metanoia, that's the word that gets translated as repent. And what that means is to change one's mind. So when a person repents, it means that they no longer feel like their sin is acceptable. They're not comfortable with their sin anymore. Their mind changes regarding sin, and thus their perception of their sinfulness changes. But that forgiveness is offered to everyone. God offers his forgiveness to everyone. It's just a matter of whether each individual person is willing to receive that forgiveness by first recognizing that they are in need of forgiveness. So that's that's one clarification that I think we have to make. We also need to make note of the reason that we're asked to forgive everyone. And the reason is, well, because of the lengths and the depths that we ourselves have been forgiven, right? I mean, you know, if, if we're the body of Christ and, and Christ is willing to forgive people, then we're not being obedient to his will if we resist forgiving someone who wrongs us. But, um, but for the person who realizes how unworthy they are of being forgiven by God, forgiving others actually comes very easily. Jesus taught us to forgive because we've been forgiven. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 33, we read, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And time out here for just a second. This is actually an amount, 10,000 talents is actually an amount that no man would ever be able to repay. It was just a huge sum. It would be, you know, the equivalent of, you know, $10 million. So anyway, we continue reading. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. And, okay, another quick time out here, side note. The average slave in that time made about one denarius per day, which is obviously far less than owing 10,000 talents. So a hundred denarii, uh, it's about a hundred days worth of work. But anyway, so Jesus continues. He says, so his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Well, the principle here 
is that we've all been forgiven. We, we as Christians have all been forgiven abundantly. Uh, and the degree to which we're asked to forgive, then, is minuscule in comparison to the way that God forgives us. But, okay, let's talk a little bit about the problem with the, the wording of this argument. The biggest problem with this question is that you're actually committing the fallacy of equivocation. You're equivocating on the word forgive. You see, there are several senses or different ways in which one can forgive. We uh, can forgive the wrongdoings of others against us, but if a person has sinned against us, they have ultimately sinned against God, since it was his code of righteousness that was broken. When we forgive someone, we may not hold their wrongdoing against them anymore, but that doesn't mean that God has forgiven them for their sin unless they have repented, unless they've recognized their sinfulness. You know, when we forgive somebody else, we release a person from uh, from wrongdoing. We, 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 uh, it's a financial term, which means we don't require them to repay the debt that they owe us, but we don't remove the sin from them. Only God is able to justify and cleanse a person from their sin, pardoning them from the consequences of their sin. And that's what this question all boils down to. It's really a fallacious argument due to the fact that uh, the word forgive is equivocated. So we aren't able to forgive in the same sense that God is able to forgive. So Hopefully, Rob, that makes uh, that makes a little bit of sense. But uh, but so no, we're not asked to do more than God. We're not asked to do exactly what God is doing. So we're not capable of doing more than God. But that's a really really good question. And uh, for those of you who have heard this objection or this question before, I hope this helps. But anyway, Rob, God bless you and thank you so much for the question, Christina. What is our next question? Okay, our next question comes from Scott, and Scott writes. How do you feel about hypnosis, and what does the Bible have to say about this? I'm on the fence about this one, but I know a few people who believe it's linked to demonic power. Just wondering if you could clarify this for me. Oh, that's a good question, too. A lot of people have a lot of confusion about uh, the Christian perspective or the Christian position uh, about hypnosis. So, okay, that's a a great question, Scott. Thanks for sending that in. well, let me start by saying this. As, as you guys may remember, I did get my bachelor's degree in psychology, so I'm somewhat familiar with you know what hypnosis is, how it works, and so on and so forth. Although I never did learn how to hypnotize someone or you know anything like that. Um, I should also note that I have been hypnotized before myself. However, uh, I was 18 years old, which was still a few years still before I became a Christian, and I was away at soccer camp. And one night, uh, we were called to together, and our coach kind of walked us through this this visualization thing. He did a, a really simple visualization exercise that ended up with me being hypnotized. And when he said to wake up, I woke up. But, um, you know, I had never in my life been able to kick a soccer ball more than 30 or 40 yards prior to that point because my kicking technique was off. Well, this visualization exercise was to help us visualize kicking the ball a lot farther with the proper technique. But uh, so since that day, I've, I've consistently had better kicking technique and have been able to kick the ball more than half the length of a full-sized soccer field. So... Anyway, with that being said, you know, I I do have a thing or two to say about the Christian perspective of hypnosis. 
first of all, uh, I, I recognize that a lot of people say that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, and that when you get hypnotized, you're giving control of yourself and of your mind to someone else, or even possibly to demonic influence. And, you know, I, I've actually read a great deal about the power that the hypnotist has over the person being hypnotized. And everything I've read affirms that a person's willpower can't be overridden through hypnosis. They can't tell you to do something that you don't want to do, and then you actually go and do it. So in other words, if the hypnotist says, you know, cut your own finger off, you're not going to do that because you would willfully resist doing something like that to yourself. So I disagree with the notion that you're really giving someone complete control over you by allowing them to hypnotize you. Uh, However, we do have this thing called a sin nature, uh, which inclines us to desire things that are sinful. And, of course, as Christians, we're called to fight against that sin nature. And not just fight against it, but to, to wage war against it. So, I think that because hypnosis draws you into a different level of consciousness, a much more relaxed state of consciousness, your resistance against your sin nature is very very likely, uh, at least lessened to some extent. I think it would be foolish then, to say the least, to expose ourselves to, you know, to even even coming close to that possibility, to even being put in a situation where uh, our resistance against our sin nature is uh, is taken down. So with that being said, let me say also that there are much more dangerous influences out there than hypnosis, which we as Christians regularly expose ourselves to, you know, maybe without even realizing it. And one of those major influences, uh, one of the influences on on any human being, is music. You know, if you're listening to music that has a uh, a sexual or an anti-Christian message, you are literally poisoning your mind because music has a way of working its way into our minds in a very very subtle way. Have you ever heard a song? You know, for example, you know, in, and say you liked the song, you liked how it sounded, so you started singing it, and then late, you know, in your mind, and then later you realized what the lyrics were or what the what the song was saying. So you had the message of that song going through your mind before you even consciously noticed. And you know, I know that, you know, back when I when I worked at casinos, for example, I would do that all the time. I'd have these songs stuck in my head and, you know, I'd be kind of singing along with them and then I would take the time out to listen to what the song was actually saying and it was like, wow. You know, that's a that's a pretty, you know, nasty song or, you know, that's a pretty uh, inappropriate song. So, you know, I would say that listening to ungodly music has far more potential for bringing demonic influence than we give it credit for. You know, listen to the words of some of the most popular songs in our culture today, and you'll understand why so many kids are having sex way before marriage. And you'll understand why so many kids are, are, are doing drugs or are drinking. And it's because of the, the influence of music. That's one of the main influences on the, on the human mind. Another influence that is at least equally as dangerous as music would be television. There is just so much garbage on television, like CBS, they're going to be having this new show called Swinger Town, and we can only, you know, guess what that is about. But, you know, television completely warps our perception of reality. Sitcoms, typically, or, or, or any TV drama, are stories that don't correspond to the Christian worldview, typically. I mean, when was the last time you watched a TV show where the main characters went to church? 
uh, you know, there's the Simpsons, you know, they all go to church, but, you know, that's portrayed as a joke. But, you know, nobody on TV goes to church. You know, I was just reading an article yesterday, in fact, about how Hollywood has contributed significantly to the economic problems of our times because people, you know, they they watch TV and they see their favorite characters on TV living in luxury, even though they would have a job that would only pay them close to minimum wage. Uh, Personally, you know, one of my favorite TV shows is Smallville. For the most part, it's harmless. Uh, I would say that there are some scenes that people probably don't want to see and, uh, you know, probably better for me not to see. But isn't it funny that the young Clark Kent never works? He doesn't have a job, and yet he always has plenty of food. You know, of course, he doesn't have to worry about transportation or anything, but that's a different story. But anyway, you know, television and music are two things that we should really be monitoring in terms of uh, our, our mental intake, because what goes into our mind is going to come out in how we live our lives eventually. There's plenty of good Christian music out there, though, so it's not like we have nothing to listen to. And as far as TV goes, you know, my advice would just be to try to think clearly, think critically, and think realistically about what you see and how much you allow it to affect your worldview. But I would say that it's unwise to leave a sound state of mind for the purpose of hypnosis. Peter wrote, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall away from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the message basically is guard your minds, people. Guard your minds. That's where purity begins. Or that's where our purity is first corrupted. But anyway, hypnosis is probably not the wisest idea for the most part. But thank you so much for the question, Scott. That's a great question, and it's something that we haven't covered before. So I do appreciate that. God bless you, Scott. Christina, what is our next question? Okay, our last question today comes from Alex. Alex writes, I was looking through the book of Psalms, and in the first one it says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners. And I am addressing the sinner part. Didn't Jesus stand and hang out with sinners? Yet this psalm is telling us that we shouldn't really hang out with them. I'm confused as to what this is all about, and I think you could definitely offer clarity to these questions. Yeah, I'd be happy to help you with, uh, with this question, Alex, and, uh, and thanks for sending it in. But uh, to answer this briefly, what this boils down to is really who you're being influenced by, who you're allowing yourself to be influenced by. But I, you know, I understand what, where your difficulty is here. You know, on one hand, it seems to be saying not to hang around with sinners, but, you know, how can we avoid sinners or hanging around with sinners on the one hand, and at the same time, fulfill our calling to be salt and light to the world? Well, you know, the thing with salt is that by itself, it's worthless because nobody eats salt by itself. And that's kind of why Jesus asked us to be salt, not so that we stick to ourselves, but so that we will uh, will be with the world. You know, if anybody thinks that being salt means being separate from the world, well, uh, you know, I'd say try having a few spoonfuls of nothing but salt and st- see if you still think that salt should be kept to itself. You know, no, we're definitely called to be in the world, but not of the world. So, of course, the psalm that you're referring to is, is the first psalm, uh, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, I'm not so sure which translation you're, you're getting that from. Is, is that the maybe the New Living Translation? Uh, and if so, go ahead and hold on to that translation. And I think you can still use it, but get yourself a copy of either the, the New American Standard Translation or maybe even the New International Version. Uh, the, the New Living Translation is really just 
a paraphrase. It's more of a paraphrase than a translation, which means uh, it takes the the text and it tries to make it in the the simplest or communicate it in the simplest way possible, which doesn't necessarily resemble the original, not word for word anyway. But I guess it would be, uh, you know, the the New Living Translation would just be an extremely loose translation, if anything. But anyway, that's a, a fairly poor paraphrase of what the verse says, of what Psalm chapter 1 verse 1 says. The New American Standard Translation, which I feel is the most accurate overall, reads, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. That's Psalm 1-1 uh, from the NASB. So the real question is, what does it mean to stand in the path of sinners? What is this verse telling us? Well, I like what William MacDonald had to say in the Believer's Commentary. He wrote, quote, the truly blessed person is the one who steers clear of the lifestyle of the ungodly. In his contacts with them, he avoids complicity with them or even tacit approval of their sin and scoffing. This does not mean that the blessed man isolates himself completely from the wicked. Instead, he witnesses to them of sin, righteousness, and judgment and seeks to introduce them to Christ, the one source of lasting pleasure. The blessed man is a real friend to the ungodly, but he is not a partner with them. So uh, that's that's from William MacDonald, the uh, Bible Believer's Commentary. What this verse is telling us is that we should be on guard against allowing the ungodly or, or, or people who, you know, aren't Christians to influence us. And that can happen by partnering with them, like William MacDonald said, or, you know, it can happen in much more subtle ways, like watching ungodly television shows or listening to ungodly music. You know, we walk the path of righteousness as Christians, and we try to avoid walking on the path of ungodliness. But that doesn't mean that we should avoid contact with the ungodly. And like you pointed out, you know, Jesus didn't avoid contact with the ungodly. Those are the ones that he came to save. You know, but what this means is that we're just to stay on the path of righteousness and not cross over to the path of unrighteousness. Because once we cross over to that path of unrighteousness, we're not being salt anymore. We're not being light anymore. We're being just like the world. And we're not supposed to be the same as the world. We're supposed to be distinguishable from the world. So anyway, hopefully that clears up that verse a little bit for you. And again, I would uh, definitely encourage you to get a copy of the NASB or the NIV or possibly even the, the New King James, uh, which is fairly fairly readable. But anyway, I hope that helps you, Alex. God bless you. Thank you for sending in that question. And actually, we are out of time, but we do have some questions to cover for next week already. I know I've already got a couple questions uh, lined up that I think you guys are going to enjoy. And of course, if you guys have any more questions, go ahead and send them in to me. My email, again, is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. But God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today, and thank you so much for sending in your questions, and especially to everybody who sent the questions in for today. I'll see you guys next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.
lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcasts.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.